name. Amen. Amen. So we normally sing more, but I told Grant, I have a lot of scripture today. And I know that people love to sing, but I love to preach. So I need more, I need more time. And uh, Ruth 3 really kicks it up a notch, all right? If you're new this week, if it's your first time, we've been in the book of Ruth. Ruth has four chapters. We did one chapter a week, and then I decided I want to do two on the last one uh, so that I can preach a Mother's Day message next week. You guys know it's Mother's Day next week, right? It is Mother's Day next week, right? Okay, Mother's Day is next week. I got a sermon you're going to love. So please, please, bring your kids. Uh, it, it is, as we turn to Ruth 3, and if you don't have a Bible with you or a phone that you haven't already pulled out and silenced, um, it'll be on the screen. But there's a lot of passages, a lot of verses today. I'm not kidding. You're going to see some courting moves today. Some of you are going to think this is how you're going to do it. It is probably not. Okay, I spent a lot of time with the youth. They would say, Ruth is about to riz up Boaz, all right? That's what they would say. That is what about, that's what about is a happen, okay? In other words, get ready, because this is the turning point in the story. We get a great conclusion, but I think we gotta have a real quick, like, catch up for you, all right? Uh, Ruth and Naomi have two major problems. Do you know what it is? They need food, and they need family, Last week, you saw how they go about getting food. That tackles that problem. Harvest time, Ruth goes out to glean. I know Rob explained that beautifully for you, and uh, that was awesome. But they need to get a little bit of food. But it's also where they meet who? Boaz, one of the greatest names in the Bible, Boaz, right? Boaz just happened to be walking through the field where Ruth was gleaning, and we have this incredibly romantic scene where Ruth sees Boaz, Boaz sees Ruth, they're gleaning. This, by the way, is how Jennifer and I met. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, if you want to know, Jen- I was buying a hot dog and Jennifer drove by. That's similar, very similar. Uh, involves food. Uh, you say, why, why Boaz? Why is Boaz the key? Why do they key in on him? Because he is a redeemer. He is sometimes called the kinsman redeemer. In the Mosaic law, they had a law of redeemer. If someone's husband died, they become a widow, but they need family. That's the second of their problems. So God set up a law in, in this way that widows whose husbands die without leaving them children or whose properties and wealth were under sort of, uh, uh, they were in, in a threat to be lost, a near relative or a kin, kinsman, could redeem the situation. That's, that's where Boaz falls in. He could step in and make sure that she is taken care of. Are you following? Because this is really important for the rest of the story. Uh, so that's, that's the situation Ruth is in. They don't have one. They come back home and Boaz is it. That gets us to chapter 3. Everybody caught up? Because chapter 3, as, as one pastor I read, is, it quotes some of the shadiest verses in all of the Old Testament. It's a little cringy. And I'm aware of that. But as you know, I don't feel awkward ever. So this has no effect on me. But I am aware that you might, okay? So I want, I want, to, I want you to put yourselves into this story because as we've been journeying through the Bible, what we see is the Bible's a very real look at life. So we might say, oh, that's so cringy. I can't believe that's what they're doing. I get it. I get it. This whole chapter, Ruth 3, the whole chapter takes place at night. 
So I want you to put yourself in there. I don't even have any fill-ins for you today. I just want you to get this story, step into this story, live in this story with me. You ready? Ruth 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Now remember, they know about Boaz. They've met Boaz. They know he's real. And, And she's saying what? You need to get married. You need to get married. And, and you need the security and the rest that that brings. And here's the plan that she cooks up. And Naomi is certainly playing matchmaker here. Have you guys seen Fiddler on the Roof? I saw Fiddler on the Roof. I saw a great production of Fiddler on the Roof this year at Plumstead. Well, last year at Plumstead. I'm going to sing a little bit of it for you. Ready? <clears throat> matchmaker. Sing it with me. Matchmaker, matchmaker. Thank you. Find me a find. Catch me a cat. Okay, that's enough of that. Let's say, so she says in verse two, is not Boaz, you're gonna have that in your mind the rest of the day, by the way, until we sing this other song in a minute. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young man, woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. I'm telling you, she is playing matchmaker here. Matchmaker. He is an eligible bachelor for you. That's what she's saying. And we know where he's going to be tonight. Where's he going to be? Winnowing. He's going to be winnowing. This is up high, right? They would go up high, not out in the field. They go up high where the winds would blow. Do you know what winnowing is? I don't winnow a lot, but it's where they, they get they get whatever they pick for that day. They throw it up in the air. The winds blow away the bad stuff and the good stuff falls. They're like, that's what he's going to be doing. The picking part's over. He is going to be up there. That's where he'll be. It's a little more secluded. That's where we will find him. Matchmaker, matchmaker. I'm telling you. She says, wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. (laughs) He's not drunk. He's just going to be happier then. All right. And when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. In other words, watch where Boaz goes. Because what she's about to tell her, you don't want to get the wrong guy here, all right? You don't want to mess this up. Then go over to him. This is the cringy part. Then go over and uncover his feet. Some of you can't get past the word feet. (laughs) Uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Now, I'm fully aware if you're hearing this for the first time in your life, you're like, that's so weird. That's so super weird. And if you were hearing this for the first time in this context, you would be blushing a bit. But we live in a super sexualized culture, so probably none of you are blushing. I mean, there's commercials on in the middle of the day that make me blush. Have you ever noticed that? Like, we're supercharged on this. But this is Naomi's plan. She says, Ruth, you've been in a state of mourning for years. Here's the plan. Here's the matchmaker plan. Go wash up, put on your good clothes, Go follow him, find out where he's sleeping, wait till after dinner. Again, not because he's drunk, but because he's happy. You go in there, you uncover his feet, and you lay down. That's the plan. I'll admit, that's super weird. That's super weird. Watch where he goes, uncover his feet, and lie down. She replied, all that you say, I will do. Didn't even question it. (laughs) Wasn't like... What? 
cover the feet and sleep? Should I sleep, not sleep? How do I get in there? No questions. Says she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Let's put this into perspective before you start thinking she's sneaking into a hotel room, okay? Like, she's not. This isn't the Hampton Inn down the block. She is, in, this is a big group of people. They would winnow, they would glean, they would pick their barley, and then they would work into the wee hours of the night, and then a lot of them would go in. That's why she said, you got to watch where he goes. Most likely, they would lay in such a way that it was like a spoke. Think about a spoke obviously feed her on the outside. And why would they do that? Because they're protecting their wheat. They're protecting their catch, as it were. Why uncover the feet? Just to be weird? Like, what is that about? Okay, this is actually very practical because you want him to wake up. Do any of you wake up when your feet get uncovered in the middle of the night? Is that a thing for anybody? Nobody? Just me and Joe. Okay, Joe's the only one I can hear, but... Some of you are still trying to get past why she's doing this. This is also, she's saying, you are putting yourself into a position of weakness. You're lying at his feet. And this is going somewhere, trust me. She is suggesting here that that Boaz knows who he is also. And he is the kinsman redeemer. So the matchmaker plan, just to catch you up, is that his feet will get cold in the night. He will wake up, and that's when you take your shot. Good plan, bad plan. You want you guys want to vote? At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman was laying at his feet. And he said, who are you? Which is strange. Can you imagine waking up and finding somebody laying at the end of your feet and then figuring out they uncovered your feet? Who are you? You think he was a little startled by that? Do you think that, that surprised him a little bit? I mean, I've had some great naps in my life. You guys ever had a great nap and woke up to somebody staring at you? Has anybody got kids? Okay, Billy, you're in the room, so I'm going to go easy here. But when he was little, I would get home, and I loved to nap after seminary. Before, like, the evening got started, I worked at a church. I was going to seminary, and I would love, love, love to come home, and I had, a, I had like, a, a, a system of napping. I would lay on the floor in such a way that I blocked the door, so I knew he couldn't get out. And uh, I would fall asleep. He thinks I'm playing with him. I'm not. I'm asleep, like hard asleep. And one time, I'm laying there enjoying this nap, and I just sensed that somebody was staring at me. And I opened my eyes, and nose to nose in front of me was Billy. He says, hi, Papa. And I'm like, what? Screaming. That's how Boaz is waking up. Who are you? Who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Wow, that is a diversion of the plan. We were supposed to wait for him to talk. But this is how she first introduced herself. Do you remember back in 2.13, serving on this, I'm, I'm not just a low-rung servant. You need to spread your wings. Here it's very personal, right? This relationship, she is saying, if you're not catching it, because I know we don't all know Hebrew and read Hebrew poetry and know exactly every nuance that's going on in this century, but here's what she's saying. I am available. That's what she's saying. And Naomi says, Naomi said, he'll tell you what to do, but Ruth just keeps on talking. She's like, this is my shot. I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a, say it with me, redeemer. This is as forward as it gets. Again, I know we live in a culture where everybody's forward. Not them. This is an all-in move. 
If this doesn't work, I'm out. There's no coming back from this. This is saying, bring me under your care. That is a husband move. Like if you don't say yes to this, I'm done. And Boaz said this, may the Lord, remember in 2.12, just, just so you know, she's quoting him. May the Lord spread his wings of protection over you. And she's like, listen, God answered that prayer. It's you. It's you. So I want to see what Boaz does because this is so forward. A worker in the field just proposed to the owner of the field. A younger woman just proposed to an older man. You guys catching the tension here? A Moabite just proposed to an Israelite. You could cut it with a knife. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And if you're Ruth, you're thinking, hey, this sounded good. This, that's words of affection. Boaz is saying, man, he is a good man. He could have taken advantage of this young girl in this position. You recognize that, right? He is proving this. He is not doing that. He is, this is in the period of the judges where everybody did whatever they wanted and nobody blinked an eye at it. You know, a lot like our period that we're living in. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And she's like, yes, it is working. And you want to know something really cool? The, I, I think, I don't even think it's a side note. I think it has to do with what we're talking about, actually. The Hebrew Bible is set up a little differently than, than our Western English Bible. I'm not saying it's right and wrong. I'm just saying the order of the books are set up a little bit differently. Present day, same amount of books, 39 books, all that stuff. But they would have grouped them a little bit differently. And, and when you get to the book of Ruth, what you find is that Ruth comes right after, in the, in the Hebrew Bible, the, the way they're set up, it comes right after the book of Proverbs, Ours doesn't do that. That's fine. But it did there. And if you read Proverbs 31, it says, An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. Same type of language that Boaz is using here. And then it ends with this, Proverbs 31, 31. Remember, Ruth comes right after this. It says, Give her of the fruit of her hands and let the works praise her in the gates. So it's almost like Proverbs 31 is saying, like, What is a beautiful wife? What does it look like? It looks like Ruth. It gives you the answer immediately. I think that's beautiful. And she's thinking, this is really beginning to work out. Dare I say she was hearing wedding bells. Do you think she was singing in her head? Going to the chapel. That's the second song, come on. Gonna get mad. She was doing it, man. She was there. This worked. Naomi's genius. Lay at the feet. I thought that was weird, but it did it and it worked. Then verse 12 happens. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. And she's like, I can't wait to tell Naomi. It's going to be awesome. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. What? What do you mean there's a redeemer nearer you? We thought we had all the boxes checked. But Boaz is a good man. It also shows Boaz has been thinking about this. We were right there. We find out Boaz knows that there is someone who is closer. Someone, okay, in other words, this, someone who is or has the right in this law over me. Hmm. Wedding bells stopped at that moment. This is the way it's set up, and Boaz, he wants to respect that. So he says in verse 13, remain tonight and in the morning... If he will redeem you, good. 
let him do it. I, I can't imagine what Ruth is thinking, right? She's like, no, I like you, Boaz. You're the guy I like. This other guy, I haven't even met him. What's he look like? Tall, short, dark hair? Who knows? But if he is not willing to redeem you, then the Lord lives. I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. At this point, you're starting to hear it. Sounds like they're both in. So she does. She lays at his feet until the morning, uh, but arose before anyone could recognize each other because he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor because, you know, it's weird. It's weird. And he said, Bring, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. And so she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And, and if you guys knew like what that was, you'd already be like, wow, Ruth is monster, right? That's 75 pounds. Here, carry this back home. Carry this back into the city. And when she comes to her mother-in-law, he says, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? And she told her that what the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law, which is really interesting because the writer of Ruth waited to this moment to show us what went, what went down in the conversation. Like, if you're watching this in a movie, you'd be like, oh, why didn't we already see that conversation? We know it happened. Why didn't they tell us that then? But she's like, no, no, no. I want you to hear it right now. It's significant. I want you to hear it right now for the first time as she's telling Naomi, he didn't want me to come back. What? Empty what? Handed. Do you guys remember what Naomi's words were when they waltzed into town? I went away full and the Lord has brought me back. What? Empty. And do you remember when I said we could do a 10 week sermon series just on that verse on the lie that we believe that we are always empty handed and that God's promises aren't for us. Do you remember when we talked about that? It was quick. So here's the picture. Ruth is coming back with more than just grain. She's coming back with a promise. Boaz the Redeemer says, I'm gonna look into this. I'm gonna take care of this. But just big sermon side note in coming here, you are not empty handed. Stop saying that. Stop believing the lie. Stop leaning into the bitterness. When you feel alone, when you feel like God is far away, look to the promise that he gave you. You don't need to live in bitterness. Naomi said, I got nothing. I'm empty-handed and bitter. She even said, call me bitter. That'd be my name. Call me bitter. Oh, I thought your name was Mark. No, it's bitter. What, what's, what names have you given yourself? I'll be careful. I got a lot of verses to go here. And I got, I, we could spend the rest of the day talking about the names that other people don't put on us. And we put on ourselves. I'm empty, I'm a loser, I'm dumb, I'm stupid, I don't know anything, I'm bitter, God didn't keep it, nope, nope, he does. Their biggest problem wasn't that they didn't have food and family, is that they forgot that God had promises for them and God never breaks his promises. All right, we gotta get back to Ruth. She replied, well, my daughter, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter to Day. Believe it or not, this is the last time we're going to hear from Ruth and Naomi. Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. Now for the conclusion. Oh, it's good. It's good. Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. You catching what's going on here? The other guy comes by. And so Boaz said to him, turn aside, friends, sit down. In other words, have a seat. Let's talk. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and he said, let's, let's sit down here. Let's have a discussion. 
And I think I need to set the scene for you. Sometimes we can see gate and you think like barn gates, all right? And that's not this type of gate. Ancient cities, biblical times, not just Hebrew cities, all cities, they had gates, big, huge, open areas. Think courtyard. It could be as big as this room. And this is where everybody came in the city and left the city. This is where business was done. Uh, uh, Law was done here. People purchased things here. It's more of a lobby. And they had benches around the edges. So it might be like, hey, the two of you, we got a business deal. Let's go over here and talk and let's get three people to come with us to kind of witness this thing. A lot went on at the gate. It's also where you went to adjudicate a case such as this. He went out, he waited, he saw the guy, he said, let's go talk, let's get some elders. I need to state my case because what we have is a legal transaction. A legal transaction. So they do that. They go to the gate, they find the near kinsmen, they find the elders and they get to it and here's what he says. Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Remember him. So I thought I'd tell you of it and say... Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And what did the guy say? I'll take it. Does anybody notice that he left out some pretty key information? Is is this a setup? The nearest kid said, I want it, I'm in. Now, I think we need to get into this a bit because this is the conclusion. And if we buckle down here, you're going to see an enormous payoff for the book of Ruth. Are you ready? You got to go with me on this. This, this last part's a sprint, but it's really good. Because I need you all to pull out a pen. You're going to stick a pen in this. Don't turn over there yet. Stick a pen in Revelation 5. Don't turn over there yet, and I'm going to know. I'll hear pages. <laughs> stick a pen in there. I told you this weeks ago, actually. Some of you might have read ahead, and that's fine. That's fine. We encourage Bible reading, but I'm just saying, like, stick a pen in there because this is a big deal, what we're about to see. When, when land was transacted, this is a land deal. When land was transacted, a deed was drawn up, just like today. Any of you have ever bought a house? You go sign 27,000 papers, your hand needs to break, your trainer table, like all that stuff. The names were written, the stipulations were written, clauses were written in the deed. Think scrolls, it's probably scrolls, you know, little roll-up scrolls. And, and there was two of them. They, they said the same thing. Everything you need to know about the land deal was written in the scroll. That way, if somebody ever wanted to sell it, you knew where it was all written down. This makes sense, right? This isn't that advanced. All of that written down, two scrolls. If I bought the land initially, it was my land, I'd keep the scroll. And then the other scroll would be filed away, probably with these guys in the gate. They would have it, or somewhere in the city would have it. It's not important where it was kept. We're just saying there's two scrolls. Then the scroll was sealed shut. The only people that can open it is if we come back into a land deal. So you had a title deed in a scroll for the transaction of the land. When it came time to sell the land or buy the land, I would bring my scroll, they would get out the other scroll, we would unseal them, and we would look at the two things that are necessary. The reason it seals, we want to make sure I didn't change anything. They're going to read their part, I'm going to read my part. That is what's going on at the gate. I've boiled it down to this. You needed four things, four stipulations in order to do this deal. Do you want to know what they are? One, you had to fulfill the requirements. The redeemer requirement. You got to fulfill that. You can't do that, no need to move on. Second thing, you had to be related. Third thing, you had to be able to actually pay for it. 
And fourth, and maybe the most important, you had to want to do it. You had to be willing to do it. Boaz tells this guy, there's some land that you can redeem. We've looked. Do you want to redeem it? He says, yes, I'm all in. I want it. I meet all the requirements. I want it. In the presence of everybody, I want it. Now, he waits till this moment to tell him the other part. Why? I don't know. But he does. He lays this on him. He says, let me finish. Wasn't done. You jumped me a little bit. The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also require Ruth, the Moabite. Notice he said Moabite. We want to make sure. You also get the Moabite, the widow of the dead. He's really laying it on thick. You get the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the deed in his inheritance, dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I'm out. <laughs> Immediately. I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair, in my own, impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself for I cannot redeem it. The nearest kinsman said, count me out. Turns out, I don't want that land. The way Boaz gives the information is quite telling, don't you think? Ruth the Moabite. Come on, really? Remember, Hebrews didn't look too kindly on them. So he says the deal's off. He then goes on to say, and this was the custom in former times in verse 7 in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. And then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belong to Chilion and to Mehlon. Remember, that's the boys. Now, this is all very puzzling to me. Is anybody puzzled? The book of Ruth goes to great lengths to show us how rich and land-filled Boaz was. Have you noticed that? Boaz doesn't need land. Why is he so motivated to get this land? Boaz shouldn't be buying more fields. He has lots of fields. Why is he buying this one? How rich Boaz is, he has tons of fields. What is his interest in this field? He wants Ruth. He wants Ruth. To you Bible readers, does that sound at all familiar to you? Does that sound at all familiar like the time Jesus said, the kingdom of God shall be like a treasure hidden in a field and a man sells everything he has that he might get the treasure? Does that sound familiar? What is, what is the treasure that Boaz receives? No need more fields. He receives a Gentile bride. Oh, I told you, this is a picture of Jesus in the church. I hope you see the fingerprint of the Holy Spirit here. Boaz from Bethlehem, willing to buy a field to get a Gentile bride. What a beautiful picture of Jesus and the church. Jesus doesn't need more land. Who thinks Jesus needs more land? The whole world is his, but he wants the church. You know, the church is often referred to as what? The bride. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife 
to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance and the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman and uh, who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily to Ephrathah and the renowned in Bethlehem and may your house be like the house of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you to this woman. In other words, we pray that you don't, not only do you get married, you have tons of kids. You ready for the payoff? So everybody, everybody say so. So, so, what is it? So Boaz took Ruth. Yay, that's great. It all worked out. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her, which is Bible speak for, they had sex. And the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord. I'm telling you, Naomi was bitter, empty handed and didn't believe in anything about God. And just a few days later, the women of this town are saying, you have not left this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. And Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. That's awesome. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse and the father of who? David. And eventually you get Jesus out of this bloodline. That's a big soap. We get the bloodline after that. It's a happy ending. Everything worked out. If it was a Shakespeare play, we'd call it a comedy because there was a wedding and not a bunch of deaths. You ready to unstick the pen in Revelation 5? Are you guys still singing Matchmaker? This whole story points to Jesus. Revelation 5 takes on an actual beautiful meaning. If you've never thought of it before, it is about to change the way you think of the end times. John, the apostle John had a vision. You remember that, right? John has a vision. Remember, he's seeing way into the future, end times. This is what God shows. We get to look with him. He says, I saw in the right hand of him who was seated in the throne, a what? Oh. Written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I, this is John, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, you, you, you connecting the Ruth to this yet? Has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. 
And then a praise and worship service breaks out in heaven. They're standing on chairs. They're jumping around. They're having the greatest time of their life. And it said he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And more worship here as they sang. You got to listen hard here. Meet me up at verse uh, 9. They started singing uh, a new song, right? I think we prayed through that earlier. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed which is another word for redeemed people of God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth did you guys catch it I hope you caught it what did he do you have ransomed us you have redeemed us You brought us back. You purchased us back. You have redeemed us. How? By the blood of Jesus Christ. You and you alone are worthy to open this seal. And it says we will reign with him. Not just me. Every tribe. Every tongue. I don't care if you grew up in Moab. You got a chance. You catching that? Man, I hope you're catching it. This is really important. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and all the living creatures and elders and the voice of many angels. A lot of us will be there. Numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Goes on in verse 13. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And then they all said, Amen. There is a real estate deal in the future in heaven. We would maybe, in our context, call this a closing. The land at stake is earth, the future of earth. That's why John weeps, because he knows his culture. He knows the deal. And he says, there is no one worthy to open the deed, to open the scroll. We are doomed forever. But the lion of the tribe of Judah is here. The one who actually came right through the bloodline, all the way back to Ruth. And he meets all the qualifications. So how's he going to get it back? Well, you had to be related. You ever wonder why Jesus was born as a human? As a virgin birth? We're related. You had to be able to pay for it. You think Jesus can cover the cost? He covered it with his blood. He died on the cross. You have been redeemed to God by his blood. And it says every tribe, no exemptions, Oh, not that tribe. We don't like them. No, every tribe, every tongue. That means every language. Man, I I, I can't wait for that. I struggled learning other languages. Not in heaven. I guess I'll just understand them. I don't know how that's going to work, but I look forward to it. Every nation, every people. He paid the highest price to buy a field to get a treasure to redeem the world. And we're the treasure. Well, you got to be willing to do it. Once you hear all the facts, you got to still be willing to do it. He was so willing. 
He said, no one takes my life from me. He said, I'll lay it down. Oh, you think, you think that when he died on the cross that he couldn't have got down? I have, he says, I not only have the power, I have the power to lay down my life. He was related. He was able. He was willing to redeem you. You are so precious to Jesus. You're so precious to Jesus. Your life Your salvation is so important to Jesus that he paid the ultimate price for you, for you completely. He bought the whole earth to get you. Do you believe that? Do you want to pray through that with me? Do you want to ask God, like, what what am I supposed to do with that? Am I supposed to leave here with some knowledge of of, of a really cool love story called the book of Ruth? Or do I want to take my knowledge and really, really maybe action that thing? And so, Father God, as we're praying together and as we're just listening to you, I know that I know that I know there's probably people here or online that are watching or or listening and they think they're empty-handed. They think their book is written. But they could be full. So God, I, I, I'm gonna, I wanna do two things with the group you gave us today, God. We've done this a couple times. Is I, I just wanna help people know that the Redeemer is here and ready to redeem. That even though we read that as if it's the future, it has already occurred right now. You are the Redeemer. And God, in, in your grand plan, if people are here today and they need redemption, they need saved would you just give them an opportunity right now? Hey, God, maybe, maybe, Father, as we're singing our song, would you just show them they can stand up and walk over to my left, their right, and I'm going to be over there and talk to them. And it's going to be loud and it's going to be rowdy, but, God, you can cut through that. So if you're here today, folks, and you say, I need a redeemer, I need to, to cash in on this, I'm going to ask you, it won't be embarrassing, there'll be all kinds of people standing. You come down forward, you come over on your right, I'm going to meet you over there and we'll talk. Father God, I know too there are many people right here, right now that need prayer. They think they're empty-handed and they don't know that there are believers in this room that love them with all their heart and want more than anything to just pray with them today. So God, I would just ask you with your permission, if people are here and they want prayed for, someone's gonna come to you, but we don't know where you're sitting. So would you just stand up? Just stand up if you want somebody to come pray with you. If you've been feeling like, hey, I am empty-handed. I got nothing and nobody. Just stand up and somebody who's a believer who loves Jesus, uh, a guy to a guy and a girl to a girl. Okay, guys, you know the rules. I would just love you to go over and just pray for them as we sing. So, Father God, just do that now. If you, if you just need to praise, and I would ask you to just do that, but just give us like one minute before you all stand up so we know who's standing to praise and who's standing for prayer. You got the game plan? All right, let's do it. I'll meet you over here.